Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. Day 381 is where we are, 1 Samuel chapter 11. We're continuing in the story of King Saul, the early days of his reign, the good years of his reign. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we look to his word together today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for being our faithful God. You are unfailing in your faithfulness. Your word is unerring in its truth. Please teach us and write your word on our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 11. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. But Nabash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I will make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes, and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days' respite, that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel, Then, if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen, and Saul said, What is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow... We will give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day, and those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men, that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. 
And that is 1 Samuel chapter 11 in the ESV. And this is really the beginning of Saul's reign as king. So he had been anointed by Samuel earlier. He had been acclaimed by the people earlier, but he hadn't really told anybody about the anointing of Samuel and he was kind of ashamed of that. He had hidden among the baggage when he was acclaimed by the people. He had gone back home to Gibeah. He had men of valor who were with him, but there were some people who said, eh, this man can't save us. And so there was this sort of ambiguity. Did Saul really want to be king? He didn't seem to. Uh, did the people really want him to be king? Well, many people did. A lot of people did. I mean, he was handsome and he was so tall and he was so impressive and he did have some men of valor who were with him, but he really just went back home to Gibeah. And so where are we? We're sort of in this, in this limbo until the crisis comes. And I'll say this for Saul. Saul is insecure full of self-doubt, doubting the Lord's call and promise and purpose to his life. But when the crisis comes and there is a great need because the men of Jabesh-Gilead are being harassed, threatened, uh, really put in a very, very problematic position by the Ammonites, when this, when this crisis comes, Saul is resolute, he is firm, and he does what needs to be done. He does the right thing. He responds to the Lord's call. And he does so because the Spirit of God rushes upon him and he is acting in the strength of the Lord. So you have the situation where Jabesh Gilead is, is on the other side of the Jordan. Uh, it's in one of the those eastern territories. You know, it, it's a city that's had its struggles over the years. It's a very important city, and they're surrounded by the Ammonites, and they're besieged. And whenever there's a siege in ancient warfare, you have a little bit of a standoff. You know, the army that's laid siege, they have the city cut off, they have it surrounded, but for them to actually press the siege in on the city and try to capture it would result in a lot of casualties for that besieging army. They would be subject to archers on the wall and people who would pour down hot oil and throw down stones upon them and you know so to press in that that advantage they have of having the city surrounded means putting their army at great risk and, and so normally in the ancient world there's this sort of custom that if a city tries to hold out against a siege if the city does not surrender and enter into uh, terms of peace with those who are laying siege then Basically, they're going to kill every male in the city, and they're going to take the women and children as slaves. That's, that's the standard custom in ancient warfare. If you resist, if you hold out, if you cause the besieging army significant casualties, you're going to be killed every last man, and all women and children made slaves of the conquering army. Of course, the men of Jabesh Gilead don't want that. They know that they're surrounded. So they start to parlay. They start to enter into uh, peace negotiations. They say, okay, make a treaty with us and we will serve you. But the Ammonites put a very difficult condition on it. And the very difficult condition is we want to gouge out all of your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. They're 
explicitly saying that they want to expose the lack of unity, the lack of resolve, the lack of purpose, the lack of strength in Israel. They want to expose Israel and put Israel to disgrace. And so the elders of Jabesh say, give us seven days. Now, this seven days respite is actually good for both sides because the people who are besieging, they can come up with good siege works and they can make preparations, they can dig trenches, they can, you know, make better armor and things like that for for laying siege. And then, of course, the men inside can think about whether or not this is really what they want to do. I mean, would you rather be dead or would you rather be without your right eye? This is kind of the situation they've been pressed into. So they send out word and they're asking for help. And when the word for help comes out, the people of Israel are troubled. And Saul, again, under the power of the Spirit of God, empowered by God, takes a yoke of oxen, cuts them into pieces, sends them throughout the territory of Israel. Now, remember, Saul is from Gibeah. This is this is taking place in Gibeah. Remember Gibeah from the end of Judges? What happened there? This is where the Levite's concubine was raped all night until she died, and then the Levite cut up her body and sent it out to the 12 tribes as a call to war. So this is an echo of that. It's an intentional echo of that. Saul from Gibeah is saying, well, let's take some oxen, let's cut them up, and let's send them out and say, we're going to do this to your oxen if you don't come out. And so, in verse 7, we read, the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. It's very few times in this period of Israel's history where you get the whole nation coming out united together. Remember at the end of Judges, we said it was it was unusual and unique that the time when all of Israel united together was to go against Benjamin, against Gibeah, against their own tribe. Most of the other times, like with Gideon and, and with Samson and things like that, it was just individual tribes or some small co- collection of tribes. Well, here we have another one of these rare cases where everybody comes out. 300,000 men of Israel, 30,000 men of Judah, 330,000 man army from Israel and Judah, one of the largest armies that's ever assembled in the history of Israel, comes out to bring salvation. And they send to the messengers and they say, tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have your salvation. And so the men of Jabesh, with this confident message, they have a great relief. I mean, I can't even imagine. Just think, these are real people, right? This is real history. So put yourself in the shoes of the men of Jabesh. You would be so greatly relieved. And so now they can say to the Ammonites surrounding them, tomorrow we'll give ourselves up to you. And true to their word, Saul And the people of Israel, they come in three companies, so about 110,000 each company. And they come and they strike down the Ammonites from the early morning watch to the heat of the day. All morning, they're striking down. And it's such a victory that it says those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. This is one of the 
clearest victories in Israel's history, one of their largest armies. It's a great start. And this is really when Saul becomes king of Israel in a meaningful way because kings were warrior kings. They were the ones who led you in battle and brought you the victory. And there are those people who say, well, now's our time to get revenge on those worthless men who said, shall Saul reign over us? But Saul says, no, we're not going to put anyone to death. This is the Lord's work. He gives credit to the Lord. Today, the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. This is, this is just a, a great chapter, just a great time of salvation. So what can we learn from this and what can we see here? Well, one of the things we learn is that a time of crisis is a time of testing. It's a time to show um, what we're really made of, right? What we really believe, what we really value, what we're really going to stand for. Are we going to step up? Are we going to shrink back? Are we going to do the right thing? Or are we going to cower away? And here in the time of crisis, Saul steps up and the men of Israel step up. And so uh, this is this is a, a lesson to us about how crisis reveals character and leadership. But I also think it shows what the people of God are capable of when we put aside our petty differences and we're united about what really matters and what is really true, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the proclamation of the gospel, missions, church planting, you know, discipleship, the great commission, the things that we're called to that are most important. If all Christians would get behind this, I remember back in the, in the nineties, I remember hearing Larry Burkett, who's long since gone on to be with the Lord, but Larry Burkett uh, was a financial advisor who was on Christian radio, and he said back in the 90s, the American evangelical church has the financial resources to fulfill the Great Commission within our generation. It's the Great Commission. It's what Jesus has given us to do. It's our marching orders. Go and make disciples of all nations. Proclaim the gospel to every creature under heaven. Jesus also tells us that only after the gospel has reached every tribe, tongue, and people and nation will he come back again. So it's the Great Commission, and it's the thing that Jesus told us needed to be completed before he would come back again. And the American Evangelical Church has the financial resources to fulfill the Great Commission within a single generation. But we don't do it. We don't see the crisis of the hour. We don't see the urgency of the call. Instead, we're complacent. We're comfortable. We, we spend most of our money on ourselves. Instead of giving 10% tithe to the church, the average evangelical Christian gives about 3% of their income, less than a third of what they should give. And then churches take the money that's been given and only about 1% of uh, church budgets on average are used for missions and a lot of the, the money that does go to missions is not actually used to advance the gospel to unreached people groups. So we are just not, we're not answering the call. We're not doing what God has called us to do. We are not united in the cause of proclaiming Christ and discipling the nations. And finally, we need to ask, of course, as we always do, where do we see Jesus in this chapter? Well, Jesus saw us in distress. 
under threat from our enemy. Sin and death and hell. Condemned. Hopeless. Surrounded. Outnumbered. And Jesus came to the rescue. Jesus did what needed to be done to set us free and bring us deliverance. And we owe him our loyalty and our, our, our discipleship for all that he has done for us. All right, well, that's 1 Samuel 11. Tomorrow we'll be in, on into chapter 12. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this wonderful chapter. It's good to have a bright spot in Old Testament history. At times it's dark and failure and frustration and disappointment. But here you brought the people of God together and you won a great victory for them. Help us to see the urgency of the call for us as your people to cooperate together in carrying out your great commission in the world and help us to give our hearts in full loyalty to King Jesus who has delivered us from sin and death, who has done the work of our salvation. We praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, tomorrow we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 12, Lord willing. Hope you can join us for that. And of course, as always, have a blessed day in the Lord.